Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to the Res Life Big Rapids podcast. We're glad you found us, and we hope this message helps shape you into something that looks like Christ. Now let's listen in. All right, give it up for Phil. Thanks. Phil is uh, actually running sound in the back, so, uh, so thanks, Phil, for serving. All right, I have a couple announcements I want to talk about before I get to the message. Um, the first one is this, is Thursday night, this Thursday night, we have a, a, a meeting that we have uh, a couple times a year. It's called Discover Res Life. Everybody say that. Discover. Okay, so this is uh, just a, a name change from what we used to have called Fuse. If you've never been to one of our Fuse meetings or now Discover Res Life, I want to invite you to come. It's a time where, uh, where I get up here on stage and I talk about our past, our, our, our present, and our future of the church, why we do what we do, why we're here, and, and who we are. And, and I'll also answer any questions you have. You can, bring, you can make a list and bring them. I, I love question and answer time. And you get to uh, have dinner and spend time with the staff. And uh, so want to invite you, but if, you, if you've never been to that, or if you're new here in the last six to eight months, I think it's important that you come to that. Um, it, it's, again, Thursday night. You need to go to the Welcome Center out in the foyer, and you need to sign up so we can make sure we have food for you. We always cater something in like the Raven or Qdoba or something great, so I just come for the food. Um, it's great. Uh, another thing I want to just inform you is if you're an outdoors man or woman and you're a bow hunter or crossbow hunter, I would like to personally invite you to my house tomorrow night so that I can defeat you at the bow shoot. Um, it's, it's, guys, it's not pride when it's true. I've lost every year, but I'm always, I'm always right there in the top group, okay? Okay, I'm always right at the top. And, then, and, uh, and so anyway, that is tomorrow night at, at our place. Um, if, if we, would, we normally do it here at the church, but obviously we got some stuff going on outside. Can't shoot. Um, so, so you can go to the Welcome Center and get, get the address uh, to, to meet there, and it's going to be a good time. We have tons of prizes uh, from Trigger Time Outfitters, and uh, so it's going to be a good time. But, but again, this week, Monday night bow shoot, Thursday night, Discover Res Life, which is probably more important than the bow shoot. Probably. Um, <laughs> So we've been in a month-long series here called Hobby Lobby Theology. Anybody been enjoying the Hobby Lobby Theology? That was to build me up. That wasn't real. Okay, never mind. You're right. Uh, so what is, it, what is this all about? If you haven't been here and you don't know, um, the, the whole premise is this. is There's so many people who've made Jesus Lord of their life. They raised their hand. They said a prayer. They personally you know, just came to the Lord and said, hey, you know, I want you to be Lord of my life. But so many of those people spend little to no time studying God's word. God says that one of the most important, pivotal things in our life is to know God's word. And yet we don't spend any time in it. In fact, most of us... It, most of us, we see most of our scripture or we read most of the scripture in our lives off of things like signs from Hobby Lobby or, or people's social media posts where they post a scripture. And, and truth be told, they probably just got it because it came up as a notification from the Bible app that they downloaded on their phone a couple years ago. And, uh, and so, like, we just, we're, there are some of us who study God's word on a regular basis, but the vast majority of Christians don't. And so I want to talk about why this is so important. And we're doing this by looking at some scriptures that people 
are, have on signs in their homes that are com- commonly misused or misquoted. And so there's so much about Scripture that we just don't understand because we don't know how to study the Word. So we're, we're looking at misquoted Scriptures, and in that we're learning how to study the Bible. The whole series is centered around this one Scripture. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, God's Word is there to help you go from sinful life to Godful life. Okay, We need transformation. Everybody say, I need transformation. Okay, If you're not changing because of Jesus, then are you really connected to Jesus? Right? Okay, so the second half of this is, so that's the personal part. The the second part is verse 17. It says, so that the servant of God, so you and me, those who've made Jesus Lord, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For us to feel comfortable out out in the world sharing Jesus' love with other people, we need to know the word. We need need to be able to come to those people with with an understanding of God's word and say, hey, Here's who Jesus is, and here's why he loves you, and here's how he can change your life. And I know this because I know his word. Okay, so the thing here is if we don't have a proper understanding of Scripture, we can also end up with a skewed view of who God is that can lead us away from him eventually, or if we use Scripture wrongly with other people, can lead other people away from God. So it's important. Many people have walked away from their relationship with God because they were misquoting or misunderstanding Scripture. And uh, So this series is here to help bring clarity to some of those Scriptures and to help us learn how to properly study the Bible. I want to do a real quick recap of, of a few of the Scriptures that we've talked about and, and some of the, the like Bible study rules that, that we've brought up through this thing. So the first week, week one, we talked about Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, or if in your version it might be, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So this scripture is not about how I have the power to do anything I want in the name of Jesus, even though that's the way that we use it. The scripture is really talking about endurance. Everybody say endurance. Paul is writing this scripture, and before he gets to this statement, he's talking about all the trials and the troubles and the situations he's been in his life, and then he says he made it through, and he says, I can do all this. That's why it says this. It it doesn't say things. It says, I can do all this, because he's talking about all of the trials that he's been through. I can make it through it because Christ can give me endurance to make it through it. That was week one. If any of these uh, pique your interest, you can go online, you can listen to the message and, and what God laid on my heart to share about each one of these. Week two is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The thing about this scripture is that this scripture, though we use it all the time, was not written to us. This scripture was not written to you and me about God's plans for our future. This scripture was specifically, specifically talking about the Israelites who had been exiled from Jerusalem and now lived in Babylon. People who were struggling in their situation at that time. But even though it wasn't written to us, it's in the Bible for us. It's there for us to understand what's going on in, in, in people's lives. The, the Old Testament is an incredible book, okay? But there's something about the Bible that, that is different than other religious books. 
And what the Bible does is it, the Bible is a historical book. And one of the things that I love about it is it doesn't just show the good things that people did for God. It also talks about their faults and their problems. Okay? If we read through the Old Testament, we read about Noah or Moses or Joseph or, or King David or all of these huge names, Samson, Daniel. We read about people not only who do great things for God, but also people who do really terrible things, but God helps get them through it. Right? And so how many know that we need God to help us get, get us through some things? I mean, they're just saying about it. It may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We have battles in our lives that we need God to help us with. And one of the things I like about the Old Testament is, is that not like the scriptures where it talks about somebody making a terrible decision. That wasn't written to you, but it's in there for you to understand that God's got your back and he wants to get you through things. Okay? So in the same way, Jeremiah 29, 11 it wasn't written to you directly, but it is in there for you to understand that God has a future for you, and he has a plan, and, and he does have things for you, and, and his future is, is great with him. Week three, we talked about Matthew 7, 1, do not judge, everybody say judge, or you too will be judged. And really, if you look at this scripture in context all the way through, it's not, it's not even talking about judgment, it's talking about loving people, being compassionate for people. Okay, so when we look at it, it's actually saying that if we will realize that we are all sinners, it will give us compassion for people who are living in sin instead of condemnation for people who are living in sin. When I know I'm a sinner, I can't look at somebody and say, you're terrible because I know that I also need help. So it gives us compassion for people. So uh, during that time, we talked about four major concepts on studying the Word. So I just want to go through these, and then I'll get, I'll get to my message. The first one is this. Fill in the blank on your card. Uh, the first one is context. We cannot base our faith on one verse. Amen? Okay, so let me explain this. You might be wondering what I'm talking about. There's a verse in the Bible. It's two words. Jesus wept. Everybody say, Jesus wept. Now, if I base my whole faith on this one scripture about Jesus, and, the, and, and I know that the Bible says that we're supposed to be like Jesus, then Christianity would be pretty sad, right? Okay, so we can't base our faith on one verse, but better we understand the context. Why did Jesus cry? Because his best friend, Lazarus, had died, okay? He was grieving. Now it's understandable to know why Jesus wept. But we wouldn't know that if we didn't read the whole context of the story. So we have to look at the context. Number two is setting. Now that's really what we were talking about with Jeremiah 29.11. Is that, that we need to know who the portion of Scripture was written to or written about. All right. Often in the Old Testament we read about how the Lord did a specific thing in a specific situation for specific people. And sometimes we just automatically apply that to our lives literally when really it's there for us to understand for our future, which brings up number three, which is foreshadowing. Jeremiah 29, 11 is talking about people who don't live in their own land and that God will bring them back to the land that he, he has planned for them. Okay, So foreshadowing in our lives is we live in a world that's not our, not our home. But God has a plan to bring us home, to bring us to heaven, to be in his presence. Okay, So it's direct foreshadowing to what, what the future looks like for each one of us. Now the fourth one is this, is, is that titles, headings, and verse numbers were not originally in the text. 
Now, when you read a novel or something like that, you end at chapter 4, you put your bookmark in because you know you can just go to sleep and wake up the next day and pick up where you left off. And, and so in the Bible, they put these headings and, and chapter numbers in there, but some places in the Bible, they put them in places where the thought hadn't ended yet. Okay, And if you put your bookmark in the Bible and you close it up and you don't read the next part, you might miss out on the full understanding of what was being talked about. I said this, uh, I think it was last week or the week before. You don't write a letter to your friend and put chapter 1 and then, and then end thought. Chapter 2, you don't do that. And neither did the, the authors of the letters in the New Testament. They just wrote a letter and we later put the numbers and stuff in. So today I want to talk about another important tip when we study the Word as we look at another, uh, another scripture. And uh, before I do, let's just pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here. God, I thank you that we just got through that part of the message where I felt like I was just being a teacher running through stuff. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray that as we get into the Word, as we start to study out this next Scripture, God, that you'll give us ears that hear, give us hearts that understand, and give us minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And as we study it, give us new revelation about our lives, our relationship with you, and how to grow deeper in relationship with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So have you heard the saying, God will never give you more than you can handle? We're going to talk about it today. Yay. How many of you, like unashamedly, how many of you uh, have seen, heard, or said this statement before to somebody? All right, me too, me too. What if I told you that that phrase is not found anywhere in the Bible? Nowhere. It is not a scripture. It's one of the most commonly misquoted phrases titled as scripture. People will go, you know, I don't know the, the scripture reference for this. I don't know exactly where this is found in the Bible, but I know the Bible says that God will not give you more than you can handle. That is not true. Okay, that is not found in the Bible. And uh, it's one of the reasons why so many people walk away from God is because uh, how can you continue to believe in God or that he's loving when your family member gets sick or with something like cancer or something like that, and, and you pray for them and all of this stuff, and then they pass away? How can, how can God be a loving God? And the Bible says that he won't give you more than you can handle, but then he does give you more than you can handle. And then we begin to blame God and start to say that he is the one causing all these problems, that he's the one inflicting all this pain on everybody. And now, because we're saying a statement that is not God's word, but treating it like it is God's word, we start to hate God and walk away from him. Okay? This is, this is one of the most common misquoted phrases that's not even scripture. When we begin adding things like this to the Bible because we think they sound like God's character, it becomes a problem because it doesn't mean that it is God's character. So this is one that many people think is in the Bible. Anyway, the scripture that people get this idea from is in 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to talk about this scripture today, and just the statement is kind of a byproduct of this, this scripture here. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let me read it to you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Listen, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's where that, that comes from. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it or endure the situation you're in. So, 
First thing, if we look back at our list of four things, study tips for reading the Word, we have to look at number one. What is the context of this scripture? So in the greater whole, what is being said by Paul to the church of Corinth? That's why it's called Corinthians, is because Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, the Corinthians. And, uh, and so we've got we've to look at the whole context, which we'll do. As well, rule number two talks about the setting. Who is this scripture being written to? And I just said Paul wrote it to the church. So we, and it's in the New Testament. So we can assume, we can say that he's writing it to the church as a whole, just like you and me. So we can apply this understanding directly to our lives today. So let me read to you the whole section of Scripture it's found in. It's going to take me a minute, and then we'll break it down and talk about what this really says. Verse 1 says this, For I do not want, to be ig- want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. So when we talk about the cloud and the sea, we think back to the Old Testament. And the people that were left Egypt, they were led by the cloud of glory. God's presence in a cloud led them where they were going. And that when they came to the Red Sea, that God parted the sea, right? And so, so that we know that he's talking about the ancestors that, that came out of Egypt. And then it makes it really clear in verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses. Moses was the leader. In the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So they were all following God. Verse 5, listen to this. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now this is where it gets interesting. Verse 7, do not be idolaters... As some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. Verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. How many would like to meet that angel? Not me. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. In other words, God's plan is coming to a close. Like, God's plan is going to complete. And we are part of the people that are going to see this happen, are going to usher it in sometime. Number three, by the way, is foreshadowing. Studying tip that we talked about. Because, or not number three. That's, that's tip number three is foreshadowing it, because it, this is talking about the future, okay, when God's going to come back. So we need to be ready for this. Verse 13 then says, no temptation is overtaking you except what's common to mankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So I'd like to point something out. I want to make something very clear here. The scripture that people use to create the statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, in context is all about a bunch of people who died. I think death was more than they could handle. Right? Like, I don't know about you, but I think that dying is probably a little more than I can handle. Now, I would get to be with Jesus, and so I I think once I'm actually there, I'll be all right. But in the moment, death is not something that I want to handle right now. Do you? No. No, of course not. They died. I think that was more than they could handle. So we need to look at this in a little deeper way because if God's saying that, if, the, if that statement was true, that God won't give you more than you can handle, 
then why did all those people die in their situation? Because shouldn't it, been, shouldn't it have been instead that every one of them would have made it through and been okay in their situation? So, the full context of this teaching has some very powerful truths in it, and I want to talk about them. The first part of the scripture is basically telling us, that first couple verses, one through four, is telling us that we're just like people back then. That, that they're, they're following God, they're following the water of Christ, the rock that is, the, you know, the water comes you know, from Christ. In other words, they're all connected to God, just like you and I are connected. Yet, they still had sin in their lives. So this relates right to us. So Paul writes this, again, about the sin in their lives. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. They set their hearts on evil things. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual adultery, as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did. They were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. Now, what this is saying, every one of those instances there is saying, is that they made a choice that led to a consequence. And this is number one in your notes today, is our choices lead us into difficult situations. It's our choices that lead us into these situations. They were idolaters. In other words, they, they put other things before God. They, they were dealing with sexual immorality. They were testing God. And they were grumbling against God. By the way, this is our society in a nutshell today. It, it, we put everything before God. We're so guilty. Of, I was thinking about it the other day. I mentioned that I'm, I'm doing fantasy football. And last week uh, at the night service, I bragged that I was winning and I lost. Um, But I had a heart check this week as when I got out of bed in the morning, the first thing I did is I grabbed my phone to look at my fantasy football players every day. Thank you, Pastor Keith, for getting me hooked on that. It's also not good to cast blame. (laughs) But the first thing I thought about at the beginning of my day was not the Lord. The first thing you think about at the beginning of your day is probably checking Facebook or Instagram or coffee. Somebody said coffee. No, that's biblical. Jehovah Java, I think I've heard it said. The Lord, the Lord waketh up. But so many people, you know, that I, I caught myself. I had a moment where I was like, wait a second, Lord. I've, now, I don't, I don't necessarily think I've put fantasy football before the Lord, but if the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning isn't God, then what, then what is it? And have I put, him, put that before God? Am I an idolater, right? Sexual immorality is running rampant in our society today. People everywhere are testing God. God, if, you truly lo- if you're truly a loving God, you would do this. God, if you love me, if you love me, you would heal my aunt or you would, you would help me to get this job. God, if you loved me, if you loved me, that's the most common test that we're using today is the God, if you loved me test. And then when we don't have the things that happen that we've thrown out as tests with God, we start to complain about God. 
In all of those cases, everybody died. I don't want to die. But this is our society today. How often are our own actions the real reason why we're in bad situations? So often I have conversations, I've said this so many times, conversations with people who are mad at God, they're in a, they're in a tough situation, and, and it so clearly was their own, their own choices that got them into these situations, but they're mad at God because they're there, because God won't give me more than I can handle. But I feel like I can't handle this. See, when we, let me put it this way, when we accepted Jesus as Lord of our lives, we're seen as righteous by God. The Bible says that, that when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed, and spiritually, God sees us through his blood. He sees that, that blood taking, taking our sins away so that we're not sinners. But we still have the, the, the mandate on our lives to have transformation from sinful to godful. Like we can't, you can't expect to continue to sin and have the outcomes of your sin be godly just because you said, Jesus, I will. You have to, you have to put action to it. Let, let, me, let, me, let me use a real world example that is not spiritual at all. This would be like an unmarried couple who is sexually active, buying birth control, never actually using it, getting pregnant, and trying to sue the birth control company. I mean, come on. It doesn't matter that you bought it. If you didn't use it, they're not responsible. In the same way, you can ask Jesus into your heart, but if you never apply Jesus and his word to your life, then why would you expect to see God results? It's a terrible analogy, but I like it. Here's the facts. God does not make the choices in your life you do. We have to make the choice to follow God's leading to experience his results. If you want God results, you've got to make the God choice. That's the way it is, whether we like it or not. And that's why this is in this next verse, verse uh, 11 and 12 actually, why they're in this scripture. It says, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages come. So if you don't think you're standing firm, or, or so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's because God knows that we are the ones who, has to, who have to make the choice. By the way, he's already made the choice for you. He already sent Jesus, and Jesus already went to the cross. The choice is no longer God's. It's yours. That scripture, it's in the Bible, so we're aware that even though we made Jesus Lord, that we could fall away from God. And this is not news to God. This is not a surprise to him. God God knows what's going on. People have been falling away from him for, for thousands of years. And, and he's seen it all before. That's number two. Your, your problems are not a surprise to God. They're not. And it even says it in this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10. This is verse 13, the first half, the first sentence of the scripture, 13a. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I know that so many of us feel like we are alone in our problems. Joey was up here during worship and he said, you know, I know that some of you are in battles. And we sang that song, this is how I fight my battles. 
And some of us feel like we are in the middle of battles and we, we're dealing with things in our life that we just cannot overcome, we cannot, we cannot get through. And, and we think that, that nobody else in the world, like we're on an island by ourselves, nobody else in the world is struggling with, with what I'm struggling with. But that is just not true. Even last week when I mentioned the numbers, the statistics about men and women addicted to pornography, people who, who struggle with that, they are ashamed to talk to anybody else about it. They're scared to talk to anybody else about it because they think they're just going to judge me. They're going to tell me how, how terrible I am. But nine out of ten men, if you're a man talking to another man about it, nine out of ten of them are looking you right back in the eyes and they're struggling with the same thing. You're not alone. This is no surprise to God. Neither is, neither is he surprised with your depression issues or anxiety. He's not surprised by your emotional situation. And he's not surprised by your illnesses and the things that you're facing. These are not surprises to God. And so we shouldn't be afraid that he knows us better than we know ourselves. We should be comforted by that. We should be excited that God knows us so well, yet he still loves us. That he still wants us to have transformation in our lives. So here's the last part of the verse. Verse 13, the last sentences. It says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the first part of that statement is where this God won't give you more than you can handle statement really comes from. But I want to read it to you again, just that line. He will not let you be what? What? Tempted. Beyond what you can bear. Tempted is the key word here. We're trying to take every life situation and put it into the word tempted. But that's just not the way that the word says it is. New rule, Bible study rule number five is this. Words matter. Words matter. We're trying to take situations of our life and plug them into this and say that God, God is giving us everything. But this isn't even talking about what God gives us. This is talking about our own choices and our own temptation. It is not fair to God to put words in his mouth and say that God wouldn't give you cancer because, if you couldn't bear it. Because that is not what the word says. This is talking about temptations. This is talking about situations where you say, I really want that thing, but I know if I do that thing, I'm gonna, it's going to bring pain in my life, and yet we still give in to the temptation. God is saying that there is no temptation in your life that he can't overcome. There is no temptation that has control over you that God can't take control back. How often do I explain words from the Bible, like weekly, nearly weekly, where I take a word out of the, out of the Scripture and say, let's look at the Hebrew uh, definition of this and all that stuff. Because words matter. It's so important. Because why? Because God is intentional. He puts the words there on purpose. And we need to read the Bible accurately and not just put words in God's mouth. So specifically when it talks about temptation, everybody say temptation. The end part of that scripture says he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Number three, God is your way out, not your way in to trouble. The problem here 
is that when we base our faith off of the statement, not the scripture, we start to look at it that, that every situation that we're in in life is one that God put us into. And that's not true. Otherwise, if that was true, then why would we need Jesus to be a light unto our path, right? Why would we need guidance from the Lord if every situation is already a situation that God has given us? That's not true. We live in the world. It's not our home, just like foreshadowing from Jeremiah 29, 11. We, we live in a place that is not our home, that is full of temptation and sin and trials and struggles. And those are not things that God has given you because you can bear it. Those are situations of life. But we have the choice to trust God that he's our way out instead of blaming God that he was our way in. That last part of the scripture, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Everybody say endure. You remember that first scripture, first week? I can do all this through him who strengthens me. It's about endurance. What's amazing, when you start to study the word in context, the correct way, each scripture in turn supports another scripture and supports another scripture and supports another scripture. And after we start to put the puzzle together, we start to get a really good picture of who God is. Jesus is a God who loves you. God is a God who loves you. And this scripture is amazing. It's really, this whole section of scripture is really amazing because what it's talking about is that he is a God who understands you. There's a lot of people who say they love each other, like, like couples who say, I love you, but they don't ever really take the time to understand who that person is. They don't take the time to understand what it is that makes them tick, their ups and their downs, and then still say, I love you. In fact, when they find out their flaws, often they say, I don't love you. But what's amazing about Jesus is that he does know you. He does know what you're tempted with. He does know your flaws. He does understand you, yet he still looks at you and he says, I love you. This is the God we serve. This is the God that I want in my life, that I want to wake up every morning thinking about, right? And his word, when we, when we learn how to study it, it becomes alive in our lives. And it can change your whole way of thinking. It, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the scripture is there to help train us in righteousness, to help us to have a transformation. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't experienced transformation, I promise you a huge part of it is because you're not in the word. Because that's what the word's here for. And if you're a believer and you know of people who are, who are in sin and you love those people and you want to see them come to know Jesus and you just aren't sure about reaching out to those people, I know that a big reason why is because you're not in the Word. Because 2 Timothy 3.17 says that the Word is there to equip us to do that. We need to be in the Word. You know, it's interesting today, kind of wrap it up, that song... It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It's not my favorite song, to be honest with you. And when I heard him practicing it this morning, I was like, wah, wah, you know. I know you hate it. It's just repetitive. Whoa. 
But I didn't, I didn't know it was that they were going to play it this morning. I, I don't always look at the set unless I'm playing. And then I really don't look at it either. We're family, we can be honest here, right? I can still rock it. Um, I don't love the song, but I love what it says. And I didn't know that they were going to say it today, but it's exactly what the word's talking about. Guys, there's so many of us that are struggling with temptation. There's so many of you who feel unworthy, feel like, how could God really love me? Or how am I going to get out of this because I'm so buried in it, I feel like there's no way out? You're here. We sang the song. Heard the message. Maybe God was speaking to you today. Maybe today was all about you. I had a different scripture that I could have taught on. I'll just teach on it next week. But you're here today. And God's trying to tell you that that he wants to be your way out. He wants to be the, the endurance that you need that Paul was talking about in Philippians to get through the situation. Endurance. It's interesting that, it, that it, when it talks about temptation, it talks about endurance. It doesn't mean like it's gone. It means if you'll give Jesus the chance, he'll help you walk through getting out of it. You can do this, but you can't do it on your own. The way that you do this, the way that you walk out of the temptation of the world that, by the way, with everybody else in that Corinthian scripture, led to death is with Christ. And he loves you no matter what situation you're in. The, I love that there's that scripture in the Bible that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, the Lord is with me. You may feel like you're surrounded by sin, but the truth is, is you're surrounded by Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for each and every person in this room. God, I don't know them, but you do know them. And you understand them. And you know why they've made the decisions that they have. You know, you know why they've given in to the temptation in their life. You know why they've fallen. You know why they feel the way they do about themselves. And God, I'm so thankful that you're the kind of God that knows all of that and still loves us. That you know all of that and you still went to the cross for each one of us. That you're, you were willing to carry those things on your shoulders and pay the price so that, so that God can see us through your blood, through forgiveness, instead of in our sin. Well, God, I also know that you, you're speaking to us today about moving from sinfulness to Godfulness, to a life full of God. And that that transformation happens by trusting you and by acknowledging the fact that you are the only way out. I just want to do something here with everybody's eyes closed. I just want to ask you, if you're here and you feel trapped, either in a situation or in sin or in temptation, you feel like you're struggling, nobody's going to look around. But if this is you and you're dealing with that, I want to pray for you, but I want to ask you, with just my eyes open, if, if you're in that situation, would you just lift your hand up? Is there anybody who's dealing with that? There's hands all around the room, guys, because we are, 
all probably struggling with something. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts of each one of these people. And God, I pray that today, that, that this, this message that you laid on my heart, that it's one that brings clarity to their life and an understanding that what they need in life is not to fulfill their desires or, or, or to complete in, in a temptation of something in their life, but instead to trust in you, that you can help them endure through the situation, through the, the withdrawal of what they're tempted with, through taking the baby steps that they need to take to get out of the darkness. And Lord, I pray that you give us that endurance, you give us that drive, you give us that motivation to hold tightly to you and to run to you instead of running away from you and, and to, to blame the temptation instead of blaming you because the blame doesn't need to go on you, the hope goes on you. And God, I pray that in this same moment, for those people that raise their hand, you give them a vision of what their future looks like outside of that temptation. And Lord, let that be the focus, that you are leading them to the vision of life that you have for them. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, but you want to today, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to just walk you through those steps. This, this means two things. One, it means that you're going to heaven after this life. But, and that's important, but maybe even more important than that right now is that you begin to live the life that Jesus created you to live. He wants you to live out a purpose that he has for you that is beyond yourself, that you can't live on your own. And you have the resources of Christ on your side to endure and to walk through any situation of your life. So if that's you, with everybody's eyes closed, right where you're at, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody who wants to make Jesus Lord? Awesome, I see those hands. As well, if you're watching online today, it doesn't matter if you're in this room or not, if you want to meet Jesus and begin this life with him, just we're going to say a prayer in just a minute. The Bible says it's a two-fold process. One, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, make this statement, I make you Lord of my life. And, and the second thing is, is believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that he really is God. And, and so the second part is the harder part because when things are tough, you don't blame God, you run to God. You don't run away. And when things are good, you celebrate with God instead of just celebrating yourself. So we're going to say a prayer and we're going to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we're going to begin this life with him today. So repeat this after me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I have struggled with sin. But today I'm different. I'm a new creation, a child of God, redeemed, remastered, and remade. Today I choose to make you Lord of my life and to live for you from this day on. Lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks again for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can check us out online at rlcbr.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store or your podcast feed. We love you, and remember to always reach up, reach in, and reach out. Have a great week.